when I started having to spend the night. Really? Well, okay. Happy Resurrection Day. We are glad to be here and glad you are here joining us as we worship our great God, our resurrected Lord. And uh, about a year ago, because of, uh, you know what, we weren't able to meet here in person. And so we celebrated it through the internet. And uh, to be truthful with you, that lacked a lot. And as I did it, I'm like, something's not right here. You know, I'm glad to be able to get something out there. But it is not the same. And so uh, we were able to sing and uh, do everything that comes along with uh, that Resurrection Day celebration. And so it's special to see uh, our people today. And so it is always a blessing. Thank you, Lord. You know, um, as we celebrate this time, there's no greater event in redemptive history. No greater event. I mean, this is at the top of everything as far as redemptive history. This resurrection of Christ. I have a question here. How was Christ exalted in His resurrection? We have as the title here, Glories of Christ's Resurrection. The glories. And so we're going to go through some things that is all about the glory of Christ. And in this resurrection, there are so many, we would never be able to get them all. We just have a few today. But some that just kind of speak out here to us here is going to be dealing with the fact that Christ's body did not corrupt that's one of them. We'll get to that. It was not possible for His body to be held. It's the very same body in which He was put to death in that He resurrected. Except this time it doesn't have the common infirmities and the mortality that He had before. He had His body died just like everybody else. But it never corrupted. He raised His body resurrected by His own power. And He satisfied divine justice. And that is carried over to us, of course. And so that's why He did it all. That we would be redeemed, purchased. And as we said earlier in the song that we sang, we could just go on and on and on and on of what that meant. So that's what we're going to look at today. Just a lot of different texts. No one particular one. And we did a topic. And as I said to Carolyn earlier um, this week, I said that, uh, you know, it, uh, I'm glad that I don't do topics every week. At least me. Because I went through different things and scenarios. I've been doing this now. We have for 36 years almost. And every year I've tried to come up with something different. Uh, but you don't want to be too different than what Scripture is about. How do you get different than the resurrection? So it's simple, but yet so pro profound. And it's always like, I want to learn something more about this resurrection. Because it's far beyond our thinking. But, so, you know, I want to stretch my thinking on it. But as Friday rolled around, I still didn't really have anything I had a basic structure. I knew it was going to be about the resurrection. 
And I'll, you know, really all through the week, that's when I'm taking notes, getting things in mind, reading and reading, and so, you know, I'd be prepared. And it gets kind of scary whenever I do Christmas and Easter messages. They are tough. Because how can I do something that's not been done before, that I, you know, done or something like that? Of course, it's going to be like other messages that everybody else is doing today. So that's not the point. Not trying to be different, but I want to be something that is what we can feed on. And uh, so we will pray that uh, God's blessing be upon us, that the power of His Spirit will help us know Him a little bit better and what the resurrection is about and what it means to us. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, great Almighty God, You are certainly a wonder. We are in awe. Lord, we just look at this day and think about what it means for who You are and what You did. And then what it does for us. And we know, Lord, that we would not even be here. There wouldn't be any reason to be here today if it weren't for your great plan. And you've included us in your story. Thank you, Lord. Now as we look at this great topic, Lord, I do not mean to make light of it at all because the depth of it goes way beyond my thinking. Help me to kind of help us stretch our minds a little bit, a little bit more thinking on our Lord and the great work that was done, the greatest work, the greatest event that ever was there, and that we realize that this is a peak event. Lord, you are the great God of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Somewhere it's here. There we go. I think I've got it. Then I do this. And you probably can't read it because of those black words on there and the sunshine that's on there and everything. I've got it on your bulletin if you want, and otherwise you may not even need it. But we're talking about the glories of the resurrection. And what we're answering is how was Christ exalted? What are those glories? How was he exalted in this resurrection? Well, we know there are just tons of them. First one that we're going to look at is the uh, corruption. He did not have any corruption. It's incorruption of Christ's body. Incorrupted in the sense that, of course, he died like everyone dies. But everyone who dies, their bodies always are corrupted. They decay, they go back into dust. And that did not happen to Christ. And that is quite glorious, isn't it, when you think about that? Is that a glory of God? My, it is. Because nobody has ever been like that. Uh, he had a dissolution of his earthly tabernacle, but yet did not corrupt. He really did die, but corruption, we know, consists principally in being putrefied. And that's what we're talking about there to what the normal human being is, which is everybody... They, they turned to dust. He did not continue long enough in that state. But even after a few, a little bit of time, the human body starts corrupting very quickly, doesn't it? But his didn't at all. That's quite glorious to think about right there. And we know it's because the hand of providence 
God intervenes. He keeps that from happening in that normal way. He keeps it from being corrupted. And uh, also, which it continued in, in the state of, of the dead, of, without corruption, while he was there dead. The soul had not the taint of moral corruption in his life. He had no corruption in his life that he lived. And uh, we know that also it would be the same thing as far as his death is concerned. There cannot be any corruption. Uh, anyway, that's the idea. And it was necessary that his body should not see corruption. That's what God had in mind. And he was, you know, if you look at men, they're turned into dust. All men, that happens. But this is an evident proof that the same body which died was raised from the dead. So we look at Acts 2, famous passage there. Christ has ascended, and now the Holy Spirit has come, filled the believers, and as they were, had been praying for ten days, and now it's Pentecost, Peter gets up to preach. Of course, resurrection is right at the heart of this message. That's really what he goes for. And before that, though, he talks about his death. And he talks about incorruption of Christ. Look in Acts 2.26. And uh, this is quotes, the whole section of quotes out of the Old Testament. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope. That's verse 26. It sets it up. Here's 27. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. No decay. I think that is a miracle. I think that, of course, the whole resurrection is, isn't it? It's all supernatural, but for the body. Not to even decay in the least little bit. So we move on to verse 31. And it says, He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that He was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did His flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again. So that is a big element here involved in the glory of Christ, isn't it? No decay. Uh, secondly, dealing with the incorruption of his body, besides no corruption, it's actually not held very long. We know on the third day he was to rise again. He prophesied of it. And we know that that happened. Third day he rose again. It's the very heart of our faith, obviously. The justice of God here was fully accomplished. He's satisfied and nothing or nobody could refuse the fact that he was to be raised from the dead whenever that time came. It was not possible that he would be held any longer than what was needed in that power of death. The third day he rises. That was the purpose of God. That was the promise of God. He must achieve his accomplishment. He did. Acts 2.24 says in... Um, 
But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. It was impossible. So, it was appointed that it would be three days. Can you imagine what would happen if it would have been a few months and then he comes back and starts showing himself? That doesn't seem right at all, does it? And it's like, is this some kind of imposter here? You know, I mean, who is this? What? You know, I don't identify. Is this a ghost? You know, who knows what people, but can you imagine maybe a couple years later he shows up? Can you imagine if Christ died on the cross and then went right to heaven? There's nothing, no burial, no resurrection, nothing after that. I mean, he just ascends and then that's it. And we get really nothing on that. What happens to the gospel? <laughs> you have no gospel. Because we're relying upon the resurrection, aren't we? So it was appointed and it couldn't be, he couldn't be held more than that three days. And that's what makes it even more believable, doesn't it? It is Him. And so, there's the first one, the incorruption of Christ's body. Now we think of the reality. This is another glory of Christ. First is the incorruption of a body, which has not ever happened to anybody else. Secondly, is this is a reality, and He has two ways here that we'll look at it. Uh, we have testimonies. One from the creatures, the ones who have been created. And I say creatures because it starts with angels. And then it goes to the women and the men. And, and we'll go through that in just a little bit. But the testimonies there are coming from God ultimately. And that's the second testimony, which is miraculous, which the testimony that we need more than anything that really gives the power to all this is God and His testimony. But He used people to give an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection. He used people in bodies like us to tell that. Can you imagine being part of history and going out and telling people this? You had to be absolutely convinced to go out there in a world that was totally against Him who put Him to death. And to go out and tell people that He arose. And so God used man, and He still uses man today. People, mankind, doesn't He? Why does He do that? Does He have to do that? No, He doesn't need any witnesses. He could just make, you know, if He chose people from the foundation of the world, then they just become to, to believe. But no, He chose the foolishness of the Gospel. Foolishness is in quotes, isn't it? He chose the Bible. He chose the Word of God, the Gospel, for us to give out to people. And it includes the death, burial, resurrection. Matter of fact, that is the heart of what we believe, isn't it? So there's two main proofs. The testimony of the creatures and then the testimony of the divine God. First of all, the angels. We know there were two angels that came. They were the first witnesses of the resurrection. Who are the first ones that saw it besides God, right? <laughs> the angels. The angels saw that. This is a miraculous thing that happened, folks. You know, I have to keep reminding myself of this because we hear about the resurrection all the time. 
And we celebrated every Sunday and we celebrated every Resurrection Day. So it becomes old hat after year after year and then you think, wait a minute, this is the grandest event that we can even imagine. Two angels witness first. Not the women, not the men. But two angels. Shining garments, it says. And they say, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Everybody knows that passage, don't they? They're called indeed two men in one gospel and another gospel. They're called the two angels. And obviously when you see the witness of this and who they are and the strength and everything that's involved to move that stone and, and all that's there, they are angels. Created beings and they play a big role in the story of God and here they are part of the resurrection. And they really tell mankind. They speak to women. Women are the first of humankind to get the, to see the resurrection. Mary Magdalene, I think that is wonderful. Because, you know, back at that time, you would not write a testimony to be given to people and have women included in it. <laughs> especially to start it all off, that would have been suicide. Nobody's going to believe you now. But see, isn't this just like our Lord? And what happened to the men? They went and hid. The women are there at the, the grave. And there are been soldiers there guarding the place, which even want to identify with Jesus and His body. Of course, they were bringing things to honor Him and, and bringing all the pounds, uh, you know, kind of preservatives for a little bit longer, but it's, it's a matter of honoring. They didn't expect to see Christ. They get the witness from the angels and it goes on from there, Mary Magdalene, and then, of course, you get uh, the women, you get uh, Peter, uh, you get the uh, Emmaus disciples, and the rest of the apostles, excluding maybe uh, you know that first week, that very first day, uh, Thomas. Then the next week you get him. We also get um, not only the apostles, but uh, goes out to other people. Not only the Emmaus disciples, but uh, the five hundred, of course, and Jesus' half brother who never believed in him before. He did what he saw him, didn't he? That was James. Of course, those are tremendous things. This is glorious, folks. Just put yourself in your in that place at that time, and you're one of the followers, one of the friends of Jesus, and you're mourning and grieving for him, and then all of a sudden you see him. You happen to be in the crowd of the five hundred and you know it's him. His voice, his mannerisms, everything that he's talking about. No man spoke like he did. You have been overwhelmed. Can you imagine the glory that happened whenever people saw Him and talked to Him who knew Him before He died? Wow, can you imagine? That's a glory, isn't it, folks? 
I mean, wow, I saw what might have been the greatest game in college basketball last night in the final four. I want to tell you, I'm not trying to take much time to spin this in here, but I'm telling you, it's hard to say something is the greatest, but the way that thing finished and the, the fight that those two teams had all the way down and it went into overtime and it looked like it was going to go into double overtime and they give the ball to the best player and he throws up a Hail Mary from half court and it bangs off the backboard and goes in and the buzzer goes off as it was in midair. Gonzaga wins. Yay Gonzaga! Gonzaga has a man who's a Presbyterian and his dad's a Presbyterian pastor. And he's a believer. And I like that coach. <laughs> the only thing is, I think he's going up against a Baptist school Monday night who happens to be uh, quite... Uh, I, I, I kind of saw that team in prayer last night after they were, they were done. I'm going, oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. That doesn't always happen. And then they're all giving glory to God. <laughs> you, know, and you don't see that everywhere on TV anymore. Normally, if it'd be anything else, they'd cut it right off, wouldn't they? Okay, enough of that. But I'm telling you, that was something. And it takes a lot for me anymore. As I get older, I'm just not impressed. I mean, the God's Word and maybe, you know, some things relating to... You know, the church, the family, what God is doing. I go, wow, you know. But other things, even basketball, baseball games, football, okay, big deal. But I was going, wow, last night. Wow, that was really something. I don't think I've seen anything more exciting than that. They both played perfect games almost. Okay. Do we see how miraculous though this is, this resurrection? And here, if you saw Christ, knowing He died Friday and here it is, the third day, you're going, it really is Him. <laughs> or later on, as you know, He's hung around 40 days, didn't He? made appearances to people. Well, of course, you know, you had Paul, who was an enemy all the time of Christ until he became a believer, till he was knocked off his horse by God and blinded him and brought him to the truth of who Jesus Christ was. And he goes... His whole life just changed like that. And that's what happens when you become a believer. 1 Corinthians 15, 8, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, it's the resurrection chapter. Verse 8 says, And last of all, as to one untimely born, that's him, Paul, he appeared to me also. I'm the least of all the apostles. Not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Here's a man who killed or is responsible for persecuting, killing Christians who are later to become his brothers in Christ. Uh, this is a miraculous thing. Yeah, God still does the same thing. But he saw the risen Lord. It's what it takes to be an apostle. Unless you've seen the risen Lord and you saw Him, you felt Him, you can't be an apostle. 
We don't need apostles anymore. They've done their work. The work is done. The Word of God has been given. It's been finished. Apostles testified to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't need to be resurrected again, but He was in the sense that He came back to Paul as already resurrected. Paul, who Saul later became Paul. An enemy to Christianity. What a testimony. I think also of Stephen in the book of Acts, quite the godly man, and there he was being persecuted for preaching the resurrection, for preaching the gospel when the Jews get a hold of him. And as he's getting ready to be stoned and killed there, he says, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. He saw Christ. He saw the risen Lord too, didn't he? The Lord just took him. That'd be fine with me, right? Doubtless this man was quite the holy man and most upright of his day. He gave his testimony. At the foregoing words, he was full of the Holy Spirit. That's how we're able to live our lives. That will honor Christ. Full of the Holy Spirit. We always need that. Well, there's one more testimony of mankind. It's all of the, the angels and all of his friends and the ones who became Christians later. By the way, in case I forget, no, 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 we'll get to that in a moment. That First Corinthians 15, I've got to back up a little bit on 3, but uh, this we're, we're just going back and forth, not in any kind of uh, uh, chronological method here today, right? But I want to make sense. Okay, enemies are a testimony to Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking the enemies who become Christians. I'm talking about enemies who would still want to kill Christ. Enemies like the Jewish Pharisees, Sadducees, all the religious leaders and all the other people that uh, were responsible for putting them to death, which is basically the whole nation. Um, they've got to own up to this truth that He resurrected. We know about the tomb. We know about the stone that was in front of the tomb. We know that no man was to get inside there and break the seal. The Romans are guarding it. You have the Jews responsible for there for guarding it. And all of a sudden there was an earthquake that resurrection day. The keepers, the guards, all of a sudden not only is quaking and shaking, they are shaking and quaking and there is great fear over them. They became as dead men. They didn't die, but it was like they were dead. That's how much fear was in them. They certainly were not asleep. They're supposed to tell that they were asleep, right? That's Somebody came and stole it. Well, the thing is, they're just telling them themselves. That's the worst thing that can happen. If you're a guard and you fall asleep, that's the end of your job. They didn't fall asleep. They were there doing what they were supposed to do. So we go to Matthew 28. Get a little bit of that story in. Matthew 28, 12-15.
Pick it up verse 11. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city. Kind of like with the tails between their legs. And reported to the chief priest, the Jews, all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. By the way, why did they have those soldiers there in the first place? He's dead. Well, remember Jesus had said, on the third you you, you destroy this temple. On the third day it'll be it'll take rise again and raise. And they had heard about that. And you know what? I have a sneaky suspicion. They're thinking, you know what? Just in case. It could happen. He did claim to be God. They knew that. Anyway, they say, okay, here's what you're going to do now. They get all together. A great council here amongst them. A council of liars. Yeah. These are the leaders of the nation. Lying. Lying about the greatest thing that ever happened. Will they do that? Yeah. You are to say, here's what you're supposed to say, His disciples came by night and stole Him away while we were asleep. You know, that's the only thing they can come up with. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we'll win Him over and keep you out of trouble. Don't worry about it. We're not going to let Him kill you. You know, you guys are hard to do this. And I don't know what else to do now. Just tell them this. Just tell them, you know, we went to sleep. Somebody stole them. They took the money. Money. And did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews. And to this day. To this day, many Jews will go with that story. There we go. But even at that time of writing when Matthew wrote that, it was still that was the story around all of Jerusalem and outstretched areas. The thing is, there sure were a lot of people saw Jesus publicly. So, I want to tell you, that is quite a thing. You have enemies that actually are testifying that he rose from the dead. Well, if they, you know, they would have done everything they could have to get that body, wouldn't they? The disciples stole it. Well, they'd go find them, round them up, and march Jesus' body right down Main Street of Jerusalem for all to see. As rotten as it was probably starting to get. It's smelly. So, but you know what? That wouldn't have happened to Jesus' body anyway. But this, he rises, he is raised before it that even happens. Now, that's one thing. You have the testimony of mankind. I went from angels to friends to later people who become believers and then enemies. Outright enemies. Now, the best one is God's testimony. And that's miraculous, as all this is. This is glorious. It's confirmed by miracles. God Himself has pleased to set the seal to this truth. Extraordinary testimony of miracles which were wrought by the apostles. 
Jesus did it. The apostles did a little bit. The 70 disciples had done miracles, cast out demons, you know, while Jesus was around. But when Jesus ascended, there were miracles in the early days of the church to attest to the fact of what they were preaching, which was the gospel, and the death and resurrection are at the heart of it. So, convinced, it convinced people that this was divine. This is the greater evidence than human testimony. Look in 1 John chapter 5, verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, all that He has testified concerning His Son. Of course, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. The one who does not believe God has made Him a liar. Because he has not believed it in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son, and the testimony of this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. A risen Savior. Life. Can you imagine all the leaders of all the other religions have a dead leader, a dead Savior, if we may. Jesus is life. He arose, He gives life to those who believe on the Son of God. That is the testimony of God. And we can only do it by you know, the very power of God's Spirit. Go to... Acts chapter 4, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. Power. God's Spirit came upon mere men who doubted things of Christ. They were weak, these apostles, these fishermen. But now power had come upon them. It was because of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're all weak. We're all weak here today. We're weak. There's nothing in us. But boy, the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you is amazing, isn't it? It's glorious. What a miracle it is when God's Spirit comes in and saves us and then leads us in our daily walks. Turn to Acts 3, 6 through 8. Okay, and what this is, is a lame man healed. This is after Peter preached the great sermon in Acts 2. In Acts 3, the apostles are out preaching again. you got Peter... James, John, all the rest of them, right? They're preaching it. Verse 6, here you have this uh, lame man from birth. And he's just begging. He just wants some, some kind of money to be able to live through the, the next day, to buy some food or whatever. 
But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. So I really don't have any money, but I have this. He's going to be able to work for a living now and get the money that he needs to live. A lot better than begging. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk! And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Is that glorious, folks? That's the testimony of God. His Word and His actions working through His apostles here. No greater evidence than that of human testimony is this great power given to the apostles' witness of the resurrection. Okay, we've done two of these. It's reality. There is a resurrection. We've spent many, many times all the proofs of the resurrection. We don't have to do that. We're just going by the Scripture. That's really all we need, isn't it? Um, by the way, many of the scholars of the Jesus Seminar and all the liberal scholars, can you believe how many are at least attesting to the fact of the resurrection? It destroys everything they believe in when they believe in the resurrection. But they don't necessarily take Christ in their lives. They, you know, they, they see that these writings are factual because in 1 Corinthians 15, in the first three verses, or starting at verse 3, you actually get something about the gospel and how it spread. And this happened very early on. Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance the main thing, most important. What I also received, he received and he gave it to them to receive. Before him were other people who received and others received and they just gave. They received and passed it on. How can you not? You get news that's really something. Oh, you Facebook lovers, then you pop it right there on Facebook and how cool it is and everybody receives it. And then sometimes they share it and then other people share it and it just passes on, right? Well, this is something that was done very early. Paul, what, 30 some odd AD, 33 AD, 36 AD, so you have different numbers. Thing is, we're talking not too many years, very close to the time that Christ had died and resurrected. Paul had received it. But we got to back up. You back up to God giving him that gospel. Other people had this same truth. And it's this, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, according to the Old Testament that was already given. It was prophesied that, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day. According to the Scriptures... 
And that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500. A lot of them had already died by the time Paul writes as He appeared to James and all the apostles. Last of all is the one on Dolly Moore and there's Paul. What you have here, folks, is something that goes back to the very, very early days. You not only t- you're talking about the apostles. Here's what they received. It was a death, burial, resurrection. This goes back to the fact of what happened, when it happened. It's before even Paul, which is a few years, and he writes the book of Romans. And a lot of people who are liberal scholars who doubted the resurrection who doubted you know, one of the most basic, basic tenets of the Christian faith, now are believing it because of the writings, because they believe Romans. They believe in the validity of this Apostle Paul. He's kind of like a hero to them. And those documents, they cannot pass by. And look how close he was to this truth. And you can take it back all the way, really, till probably these women, men, the apostles. And that's what they kept passing to each other. we got the same gospel today, folks. This is the same thing that they had. It hasn't changed a bit. That's what we are to preach. This gospel. Death, burial, resurrection, Christ. You must believe on that. And that means to repent of your sins and trust in Christ and His sacrifice on the cross which pays for your sin. So, I will tell you what. I think it's incredible that we have quite the testimony of this all. So, do you see how valid that we have? It goes all the way back. If it's like a hundred years away where stories started getting written about this, and that's what some people say. Well, the Gospels weren't written till way in the first second, or second, third century, or late in the first century. No, you know, this right here was like a common thread, and they would do this as a creed. Maybe it was a song that they sang, taught the, their children. It was in the families. They come and uh, worship together, they would repeat this. Because they don't want anybody to ever forget it. So it kept on going. Later on, we do get books that are written as early as, what, maybe 40 AD, somewhere around there. Corinth, Corinthian letter was written very early by Paul. So do we have valid reasons for this? Just in the Scripture itself. And that's why I call, this is God's testimony here. If you saw it firsthand, what a testimony that would be. That's glorious. Boy, about His Word. Okay, we've done two. That takes up most of the time. We go to the properties of Christ's risen body. It's said that the same body was raised again. Essential properties, but without mortality. He was mortal in that He died. The resurrection body is the same body but no infirmities are ever going to happen with this. This is a resurrected, it's a raised body, a glorified body. Same body. If it wasn't the same body, then it can't be called a resurrection, can it? It's just another body. What, what do you make of that? It wouldn't be the same Christ. It wouldn't be the same body. He had to go through all that. 
Secondly, it was material. This is not some kind of ethereal type vision that people get. It's really a body that is made with flesh, bones, flesh. Some sense of it here that he had before, but it's to a much greater degree. That's the idea. That's what I'm trying to get at. 15 verse 36. Again in the resurrection chapter 35, someone will say, well, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Right, right, you know. You fool, that which you sow does not sow to li- come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. It's like this, the seed thing. Everybody knows this. They, you know, they were an agrarian society. You have to have a seed. It looks dead. It doesn't look like there's any life in it. And you put it into the ground. It's like it's dead. The dirt covers it up. You don't even see it. And then here comes spring, and all of a sudden you see green coming out. But God gives it a body just as He wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. Our flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star and glory. So also the resurrection of the dead, it is sown a perishable body, it has raised an imperishable body. Our bodies are perishable, they're corruptible, aren't they? Speaking of us. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Soma, body, spiritual. Spiritual, people say, well there it is. We're just going to be spirit beings like angels. No, a spiritual body. Body, soma means that. But yet, it's, it's glorified. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And then he gives the parallel of first Adam became a living soul. The first man, Adam, became a living, living soul. Um, there you Adam, a life-giving spirit. Or, last Adam was a life-giving spirit. Sorry about that. Anyway, that would be Christ, obviously. So, um, material it is. It's like the same, only it's different. It's glorified. Same way with us, and it's uh, similar in that sense. But how far His human nature was changed as to all its properties, we can't really know for sure what all that means. But it was raised incorruptible and immortal and no common infirmities, sicknesses, diseases, and such. That is the body that he took on. It was not while on, uh, you know, in, in that first body, but the second body, which is the same, only it's glorified. It's clothed with luster and glory that all realize that he ascended to heaven. Number four, Is that it? Yeah. Oh, it's on that same page. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. 
I can't, I can't read it. I don't know how you guys are reading it. <laughs> Sorry about that. I really wanted to get this tube in there, and anybody that knows what he's doing on PowerPoint but could do that and pull that off with light in the background and then darkness. And so you get the idea, right? Okay. That's what I had in mind. Okay, Christ was raised by His own power. We're still talking about the glory of His resurrection, right? We're coming to the end. His own power. No power uh, of, of earth or no power of man, even angels, could ever raise a dead person back to life. Only the power of God can do that. A dissolved frame of nature, how can it ever come back? Well, it's going to take the power of God to do that when we're raised. Well, we know the Father has raised, uh, uh, raised Him up. This Jesus, God has raised up. I think we saw that in, in Acts, right? The Holy Spirit does it. Elsewhere, He's said to have been quickened by the Spirit. You can go to Romans 4 if you like. Romans 1, 1 4. Romans 1 4. I'm trying to finish this up. Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord? Power. You have the Father, you have the Spirit, you have the Son. Christ, by raising himself by his own power, should make us go, wow. How could anybody ever come back to life? Yeah, it was the Father who did that, but how could he do that? Well, he says, no man has the authority to take my life and put it down, and nobody has the authority to bring it back up. That's John 10. Destroy this temple, and after three days, I will raise it up. So, not only the Father and the Spirit, but the Son Himself resurrects Himself. Lastly, and this is where we come in, are the effects of Christ's resurrection. The evidence that God's justice was satisfied, that He was released out of the prison of the grave, not only by the power, but by the justice of God and receiving a full discharge. The justice of God has been served. He is satisfied in what Jesus did. It's full proof. Completely, it's full proof as far as the work of redemption was done to perfection, to its completeness. It is finished. Tetelestai. And my, and my, my tongue just went over my mouth there and over my teeth. And I, I, again, I'm not even going to try it again. I can't say it today. Tetelestai. I tried it. Okay. What are we saying? Everything. Was done. Oh, God is satisfied. He there's a justification there now to pull him out of the grave. He conquered death. He destroyed that had the power over death, and he procured to himself a right to be acknowledged as the Lord, both of the dead and the living. Number two is our justification. Go to Romans 4.25. I promise, I'm right, I'm right at the end of this. I really am. 
But Dennis, I got a ham in the oven. <laughs> he was delivered over because of our transgressions. Does this say it? And was raised because of our justification. He was justified in what he did and pleased God the Father. We are said to be justified by his death and by his resurrection. Our justification, which was begun in his death, was perfected in his resurrection. Do you get that? Christ meritoriously did his work of our justification by his death and passion, but the effects of this, this perfection comes about in that what now happens is it is now put upon us. And not only is He declared righteous, but because of His righteous life that He lived, and then in His death and His burial, then He's raised. By His death, He paid our debt, right? By His resurrection, He received our acquittance. We are acquitted. It is now proof that it's been paid. They for whom Christ died and rose again shall obtain a glorious resurrection. We are declared righteous and we too now await our glorious resurrection. There is a resurrection spiritually and that we're regenerated. But it goes much further than that. But to know that our quittance has been done. We are forgiven. It's all been done. And that glorious resurrection awaits. And you know what? There's no use to ever be afraid of them that can kill the body. After that, there's nothing else they can do. Because we're with the Lord. Amen. And we close off with just an awesome ending of 1 Corinthians 15. God's Word is amazing. Verse 54. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Great God, thank you for this truth. We now are to continue on our work that is given because we have every ounce of power that we need to do the job that you have given us until you come back. We praise you about these glorious things of your resurrection as it goes all the way to the glorious King of Kings and Lord of Lords and His return and on into the kingdom and into the eternal state. In this resurrected name, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen.
we have to close off with a song that we started with. Christ the Lord is risen today. You know what? This day that we look forward to so much, it's like, where did it go? Where did it go? It goes by so quick. You know why? If it does to you, that means you have joy. Christ gives that to you as you worship Him. Let's all stand. Let's sing boldly and joyfully.